Hi, my name is Hans Peter Meyer, and I'm the host of the Men's Work Podcast, where you'll find interviews with men and with women. You'll find yoga classes, you'll find reflections, you'll find a lot of material to hopefully help you move through the tests that life has handed you end of marriage, loss of job, marital relationship stress, fatherhood, just being overwhelmed. It's a lot. So listen, if you need to talk, I've got no charge mini coaching sessions at menswork.ca. Enjoy the show. Good morning. My name is Hans Peter Meyer. And today I'm talking to Ted Reiter about men and sacred sex. So if you're listening to us on the podcast, um, welcome. And I want you just to take a moment to sit tall, however you're sitting, if you're driving or if you're sitting at a desk or maybe you're sitting on the floor, just take a deep breath in, tuck your chin a little bit so that your chest is lifted, pull your shoulders back a little bit, roll them, let your sit bones just kind of get heavy into whatever you're sitting on. Lift your spine a little bit out of your pelvis. And just take three long, deep breaths into your belly, letting your belly get nice and round. Doing this really slow and then exhaling even slower than you inhale through your nose. And as we slow our exhale, we just slow our parasympathetic nervous system we move out of that go 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 kind of place you're not here to um, achieve anything you're here hopefully just to absorb something and maybe to let something resonate in your own body and if you've got questions at any time just uh, feel free to send me an email at hans at sacredbodies.ca. And if it's for Ted, I'll send it on to Ted. And once you've taken your three long, deep breaths, just open your eyes. And if at any time during the conversation you feel yourself getting agitated or excited or whatever just remember to take a couple of breaths because while that agitated excited place in our bodies can be really exciting uh, it also gets in the way of receiving what's being said so right now your job is just to and my job really is to listen as much as i can to hear as much as i can and um, I mean, obviously, I'll be asking Ted some questions and we'll be having a conversation, but I'm here to learn just like you are. So welcome, Ted. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's great to be here. And I love that you started with a little bit of, of grounding breath. I think that is so key for all of us, and especially when we're talking about sacred sex. Breath really is going to keep coming back probably into our conversation today. So a great place to to begin. Thank you. Okay. So 
<clears throat> I could ask Ted to do like a 30-second elevator pitch, but I, I recently overheard somebody talking about, uh, about this as perhaps getting, again, getting in the way of what our actual conversation is going to be. What I will say, and my apologies to you, Ted, if you were wanting to make the pitch, I'll, get, I'll let you make the pitch at the end if you want. And also, I just wanted to say, if anybody's listening to this, if you wait till the end, Ted's going to do a short embodiment exercise for us. That's, you know, it's about, this conversation is about men and sex. And I've called this thing about men and sacred sex. And I'll tell you why in a minute. But I think it's really important for us to slow down, to actually feel our bodies and and that's how I got to know Ted for that through that kind of work. And we've had a couple of conversations and and I'm looking forward to where we go with this one. So let me start with my little story about sacred sex. And that's actually it'll lead me to you directly. So we were lying in bed and the woman I love turned to me not entirely happily, and said, I would like our sex to be sacred. And <clears throat> at that point in my life, I was juggling a lot of things. And I, I and my response was, <laughs> that sounds great. You know, like, you just bring me whatever you whatever you want. And I'm I'm in for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, we're laughing now. I mean, I, I laugh because I, you know, the stuff that I've learned through through Ted and the work that he does with John Wineland is, you know, like that's that's not a response that's going to encourage anybody, certainly not my beloved, to <laughs> no. want to spend any more time with me. <clears throat> and sure enough, you know, she wasn't long after that that she departed. And then within a... I don't know, within a year, I'm having a conversation with a, a very attract a woman who I find very attractive. And she's invited me out to have lunch with her. And I'm kind of curious. And she starts talking about this guy she's interested in who she's learning from John Wineland. And I'm like, Oh, that's, well, you know, it's all about sacred sex. And I'm like, wow, that's like twice within like six or eight months that an attractive woman a woman I'm attracted to brings up this word. And for some reason, it's kind of like, I should be paying attention here. And uh, so then I look up John Wineland, and then I discover that, oh, he's, you know, he he's done work with or studied with David Data. And then, and then the light bulbs go off. And I had collected materials from David Data years ago, saving them for the woman who it was going to be right to share this stuff. So mm -hmm. It wasn't like I was not familiar with this term. It was that I had gone blank. And even when this woman in my bed was saying, this is stuff that I want for us because I don't want to be treated like a piece of meat, which is how I'm feeling. Instead of going, okay, I've got the, you know, I've got some, I've got some resources here. I'm going to start doing the work. I pushed it off onto her and I forgot all about the stuff. Anyway, yeah. quickly, I decided that I needed to do a, some kind of workshop or some kind of work with this John Wineland guy. And that's where I met Ted. So that's how I started thinking about 
or actually doing something about this idea of sacred sex, Ted. It's a long intro. But uh, so now it's in the balls in your court. Talk to me about what this means to you. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a that's an important backstory. Absolutely. Um, uh, just a funny story is that when I started working with John, which was in 2016, studying with him in 2016, mm-hmm. one of the things he said was it's time to go on a feminine cleanse. And I've been just casually dating a couple of women over the last couple of months. I had been in a 21 year marriage and then a couple of serious relationships in between, but I was in this place and he said, you know what? A cleanse would be good. And so a feminine cleanse in this sense is where we really let go of all those love interests so that we can focus on self. So we can recalibrate our bodies so that we can figure out where do I want to go? Like, who, who am I in this world? And so I said to a couple of women, thank you. Hey, it's been lovely. I'd love coffee with you. That was really nice. Or we did a little more, but I'm going to do this, this kind of wacky thing called a feminine cleanse for six months or so, nine months. And I said that to a couple of women, they were they were disappointed. I'd like to say they were heartbroken. I don't know. Hopefully I didn't break their hearts. <laughs> um, I was a little heartbroken to be doing it actually. And, and I said to one woman, thank you. You know, I'm going to do this. And she said, I don't think she used the word sacred sex, but she said, well, isn't John a teacher of intimacy and relationships? I said, yeah. I mean, I was doing men's work with him, but she, I said, yeah. And she said, don't you need a practice partner for this? Uh, so leslie and i have been together and we're married and we have blended our families together but but it all started with that saying wait sacred sex (laughs) or whatever we called it at the time that's something that you're gonna need a partner for and it really this journey has really opened up something new for me over the years to to see what the possibilities are in sacred sex or what i call spiritual intimacy so to really see what's possible when we go past the physical and we let go of the other stuff that kind of gets in the way and we can connect in a way that, that has me feel closer to my partner and really a divine connection. And we can kind of unpack that and figure out why did we get to this place in the first place? You know, why are we so distracted and all that? But that's, mm. that's, that's my intro into sacred sex or spiritual intimacy. <clears throat> okay. So did you actually do a feminine cleanse? Like, did you actually? No, I'm one of John's <laughs> failures. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of his failures as far as the cleanse goes. And um, I, I've guided many other men through it, but uh, I myself found this amazing woman. And it's funny that you mentioned David Data and his work and the stuff that you've been stockpiling. Um, one of the first dates I took her to, was a David Data event. Mm. Figuring, well, if she can hang with this, then then yeah. there's something here. And so really we started our relationship as practice. And practice has really been an integral part of our relationship over the years. So that we have times where we dedicate, like this is going to be couples practice, or we'll go to workshops together. But we really make practice, whether it's, sexual practice or communication practice, just general relationship practice, 
that's really become part of who we are as a couple and who we are as parents to our kids as we blended our home. Mm-hmm. So something very much alive in our, in our family. So now I, I failed the cleanse, but in many ways I, I passed the class. <laughs> well, I, I, I guess that comes, you know, my, I suggest lots of practices to the guys I work with, but it's really just a suggestion. I mean, you had this experience of the actual suggestion of brought you to a place where there was somebody then who, who, I mean, I always think of these women as oracles, you know, like they're, they're giving me information and then I need to do something with it or not, but they're not telling me what to, or sometimes they are telling me what to do. And that's not so, it's not so much the telling it's this, and I love when John talks about feeling into it. It's like, it's, so what am I feeling into here? Like, is this, you know, I guess my take on your situation, if I was there would be, okay, I have this, this structure, the, the masculine or the feminine cleanse, which would probably be a good thing, but I'm also, and I also think of these women as sirens, you know, like they're, they're, they're calling me to smash a part of myself so that I can open myself up. And for those of you who are listening, this is getting a little bit too wacky, I'm, I'm my apologies, but I really think that opening up to the poetic side of life has helped me to appreciate a different idea about sexuality, which has been to, I like what you said, spiritual intimacy, but I will keep drawing us back to this word sex because I think it's it is one of the distractions. And I think our limited idea about what sex is, is a real, it's been a real problem in my life. And I see it all around me and the guys that I work with is just, we have this really narrow idea of what sex is. And, and I needed that to be kind of smashed open. Well, if you were defining sex, how would you define it today? Well, you know, I, I would, it would become poetic. It would be like this. I mean, I would use this idea of the fe- the masculine and the feminine that, you know, that, that I, for me, comes from David Data and that John uses. But, like, the whole world is here for me to enjoy and for me to, you know, to, to be aware of and to experience as some kind of something new. And my penis is only a small part of that. You know, it, it's, it's at different times in my life, it's been a, a huge part of, of how I, you know, dealt with the world. And I don't want to um, minimize that, you know, for a lot of younger guys, that's still a big part of how they relate to the world. But I, I do want to say, if that's the only way that I relate to the world, then I miss things. And I certainly miss it with women. Who, right. who might really enjoy my focus on ejaculation and and just even physical that genital pleasure themselves? But there's a whole like a, so. So when you're talking about spiritual intimacy, I mean, I guess that's I I, I couldn't have. I couldn't, I wouldn't have opened myself up to that when I was in my twenties. I don't think, I think it would have been really scary for me. Um, uh, Even the idea of anything being sacred, you know, I I came from, um, I grew up 
with the Bible, not, not in a really strict, rigid, rigid way, but it was there and it was not a place of, of joy. Uh, yeah, it was not a place of joy. It wasn't a place of pain necessarily, but I didn't see it as a place of revelation or, I mean, as a place of experiencing the world in, in, a, in a joyful way. And, and sex certainly was. So when we grew up with a Bible or, or just in our culture, most kids don't grow up with, oh, here's what's possible with sex or with intimacy. Yeah. You know, instead we grow up with uh, institutionalized shame or fear, or maybe just comes through our family as something about which we should be shameful. And so we, we grew up with kind of a stunted view, at least th th this is true, at least what I see in North America. Other cultures handle it differently, but the way that I see people growing up today, it's still with a lot of fear, with a lot of shame. And so we come into our sexuality as teens and as adults and don't really know what to do with it. And you know, some of us are lucky enough to find teachers who can guide us to say, okay, it's more than what you might think. Yeah. And some of us are lucky enough to actually listen to that or hear that, you know, I mean, I, uh, in terms of my sexual experience as a teenager, <clears throat> I didn't have a lot, but when I, when I did eventually it was with a woman who was a little more experienced and a little older and it was this beautiful experience for me. Um, but I know from the guys that I work with that there's a lot of their teenage years are, are full of a lot of shameful experiences, a lot of experiments with, with other guys, you know, with, um, and later on, they be, well, even at the time, they're shameful. There's this desire to explore, but there's no, no way to do that in a way that isn't shameful and that isn't something you have to hide. And Right, right. Yeah, we mostly the, live in a culture where you have to hide these things. Yeah. And, and when you're hiding something, it's really hard to learn anything. And I so think, you talked to, so go on, go on. Um, there's one thing I want to drop in because I think it's, it'll be fun just to, to banter this around with you. Um, many, uh, many people I work with say, hey, my partner, I don't feel him here. He's really distracted. Yeah. And I think a sacred union, a sacred sex, spiritual intimacy is really feeling that person is with you and feeling through them and beyond, but not distracted. And I think most men are distracted. And here's my theory. I'm going to play this with you. Here's my theory. That when boys start getting erections, at whatever age they start getting erections, right? Sometime, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, they're starting to hit puberty, things like that. They get an erection and there's shame around it. Right. If you stand up in classroom, I don't know if anyone goes. <laughs> I don't know if anyone goes to blackboards anymore or whiteboards or whatever you're know, using these days. But it goes to the front of the class. It's like you know, please don't call on me. Please don't call on me. Please don't right. call on me. Right. And so, what do we teach boys? Do multiplication tables in your head. Right. Uh, baseball box scores. What can you do to get your mind to be somewhere else so the erection goes down? <laughs> when boys start having sex, 
one of the things that's sometimes taught to delay ejaculation is kind of the same thing, mm. right? Distract yourself. You know, let your body kind of relax into, into stretching out uh, this experience by, again, box scores, multiplication tables, you know, whatever it is kind of distract you. So is it any wonder that they're then with a very, uh, a, a goddess-like partner who's saying, where the fuck are you? Right? You're right here. I feel physically, I feel you, but mentally you're you're gone. So I think we're we're in the best of intentions. I think we're teaching little kids, or you know, boys coming through puberty to distract themselves. We're teaching boys becoming men who are starting to have sex to distract themselves. And then they're distracted. And they go through life that way, whether they're having sex or having dinner with someone. They're distracted because we've we've conditioned that into them. So a big part of training, retraining men for me, is getting them to be present, to let go of all those other thoughts, to not be distracted, but to really be fully present. But then I'm just going to come in like, you know, 20 seconds. That's what you think will happen if you if you're not distracted. Yeah, so I'm I'm, I'm throwing that at you. So yeah. what what? How do you respond well, to that? Well, because I, the idea is getting out of self, and what most men are doing is focusing self-referencing. Am I doing this right? Am I staying hard longer? Am I am I putting off ejaculation? That's all very selfish, right? It's all self-oriented. Yeah, and let's just pause that for a second because yeah. the sometimes lots of times the intention there is to actually not be selfish, right? Is to like, okay, I will, you know, I will stay hard and I will, I will, you know, do this semen retention thing mm -hmm. so that she will have more better sex because I'm doing this for her. And what I'm hearing and what I've experienced is that basically what she doesn't get from me then is is my my open heart, my presence, I'm somewhere else. Right. Right. So, and that to me, I guess, to go back to you, you asked me what my definition of sacred sex would be that when, whenever I am engaged with her, the woman I'm in, and that, that's my orientation is okay. women, <clears throat> whoever I'm, when I'm engaged with her is to be, I mean, this is where I love some of the practices that I've learned from you guys, you know, it was like, just as simple as standing with my shoulders relaxed, looking at her and have, and focusing on opening up my chest and relaxing my belly and just because she feels that. So, I mean, I was told, I was taught that and then I experienced it, you know, so I had all this repair work to do with this woman I love who left me because I wasn't present. And my, my lack of presence, it may have dated, you know, come from those kind of things. Although I think mostly it came from, and I'll get back to that in a second, but excuse my pack of dogs here as they greet the, whoever's coming in the door. Um, it came from being focused on work. So again, it was, and I think for lots of us guides, it's like, well, I'm like, 
I'm, I'm creating a business or I'm mm. doing my job so that I can mm. support you so that you can be, you know, you can live in this comfortable way or you can be supported and all this stuff is good. And again, I like the kind of things that I kept being reminded of when I would do work with, with you guys was, you know, take the breaks. Like, and this is like, pay attention to your, my own body and recognize, oh, right now I actually can't do this. I can't actually give you the attention that you deserve. And this, so this, you know, my idea of sacred sex or sacred intimacy is what we have is something that's really valuable. It's sacred. So if I treat you like I treat the postman or somebody who doesn't matter in my life by not being a hundred percent present, then I'm not, giving this what I want and what I know you need. So I need to take some time for myself to, so that I can come to those moments with a lot more presence or a lot more of who I am and a lot more relaxed and a lot more open. I kind of wandered on this thing here, this, but I also wanted to get back to, or I know for me that lots of the, the closing that I would do in sex had to do with this feeling of vulnerability. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I would, I, as a, I was in my twenties at some point, I was like, kind of, I had this, I would, I would have this experience of having sex with a woman and it would be great. And then immediately wanting to close, like being so afraid. And I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand that it's fear. I just understood that I all of a sudden felt separate. And then I read something by Wilhelm Reich about, and he just described this thing like this is like a normal, this is what, this is what men often do. You know, we, we get to this vulnerable place and then we immediately try to protect ourselves. We're not used to showing our vulnerability. And, We're, and that probably protected us at some point, right? We may have grown up in homes where vulnerability was not safe. And so we get to that place and we're like, oh, we actually want to close up. Or no one's seen me in this way before. I want to close yeah. up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all, it's all very real. And it also doesn't have to happen. Right. We can retrain our bodies to stay open. Right? To stay open during a time of of discomfort. You know, whether discomfort is, you know, plunging into cold water or discomfort is, wow, they've really seen me in my fullness. And oh, I wanna, I wanna go hide. So let, let's. So one of the places that we're really vulnerable, especially as we get older, and there's this specter of, and I'll put in quotation marks of erectile dysfunction. Mm -hmm. So there's this whole cultural thing about like, as, if you're a man, you have to be like the ever ready bunny, and you have to be hard. <clears throat> and so we've built up a, there's a whole medic, you know, we, we've pathologized this. Right. Instead of looking at. Uh, that's a place where now I'm vulnerable and my vulnerability is actually a gift to my relationship. So again, like if I treat this as a holy experience rather than just about, and I don't want to say just about pleasure, but I think the focus, and there's so much of what I read right now, you know, from men and women around sexuality is like, so it may not be ejaculation focused, but it's pleasure focused. And I think it misses a lot. 
So well, when I, mean, I see you, I mean, let's just also say, yeah. hey, if, if it's not pleasurable, then you're also missing a lot, right? <laughs> <laughs> let's, yeah. Let's confirm but, that. But you may go to to get to that deeper or that what I always think of as the unimaginable. I might have to go through some discomfort, and that discomfort might be like, oh, I'm here with this the goddess, and I can't maintain an erection, or I'm here with the goddess, and I've just blown my load, you know, like in short order. So instead of doing, you know, what I used to do, which is close, even after having like a successful sexual experience, instead of closing it, for me, it would have been like, like to stay, to, you know, to how to somehow to stay open. Yeah. And I guess one of the things that, well, I know one of the things that I really enjoyed from working with, with you and John is just the focus on our this yogic focus on things that we do with our body and our breath to stay open through that discomfort. So anybody who's listening here right now, it's not about medicalizing or pathologizing the stuff you're feeling or that you're experiencing. It's learning how to actually love yourself. And that's how I would put it. Like that your own experience is a sacred experience. And the more you can just hold space for that and love it, the more you'll then be able to open to the gifts of whatever the goddess brings you. Right. So it's how can I stay open while I'm closing and how can I stay open while my partner is closing? Yeah. Right. It's, it's, it's the dance of both. And all of that, you know, fortunately we can practice. None of us are, or very few of us are taught that to begin life with, but how can we stay open during these, these times when most of us want to fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? Right. So one of our, our trauma responses. Now, we had some questions about trauma. Did you want, you were going to keep going? Keep no, going. go ahead. Let's, let's go into trauma. Well, let's, talk some trauma. let's talk about trauma. How about that? <laughs> yes, let's, let's talk about it and not go into it. So I had several questions from guys who were talking about um, basically having traumatic teenage experiences and, and feeling like their current adult sexuality was still burdened with that. So, you know, what do they do with that? Also, I remember one guy asking, like, can she feel this? You know, like, do I have to, you know, like, um, so those are a couple of things that I, you know, like, like, how do you respond to those? Do you ever work with guys who have those kind of experiences? And, and what do you say to them? Or how do you work with them? I, I do work with them, though. I want to make it clear I'm not a trauma specialist. Uh, but when trauma comes up, we, we, we work with it, though sometimes I'll send them to therapists who really specialize in trauma. And I think that's, they're, they're in better hands for that. Mm. But so many men have had trauma. So many women have had trauma. Let's talk, let's talk about that first. So many yeah. women have had trauma directly. They've experienced that trauma. Mm -hmm. Some have it epigenetically, their parents, grandparents, someone in the family has some specifically sexual trauma. And then I think also just being a woman in this world, there's a, there's a, there's a worldwide trauma that many women carry. So I think we have to assume on some level that, that most every woman has experienced some kind of, of trauma. Uh, some have addressed it. Some have yeah, not. Yeah, like that much, you know. Right. Well, so the ones who have, have, 
and 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 many have not. And even the ones who have are still working through it to whatever level that we would call yeah. success for them. Uh, many men have had traumas as well. I wouldn't say to the same degree across the board as women, but certainly many men have had traumas, personal traumas in their life, and perhaps epigenetic as well. So one thing that seems clear about trauma is that, yeah, they'll feel it. My partner will feel that trauma. They may not know what it's about, but they see me closing at some point. They may not be able to name it or help diagnose it. It's really not their job to do that anyway, but they'll feel it. They'll feel me holding back in some way. And so if we do have that trauma, if we know that there's some kind of trauma, I think it's super important to explore it. Just explore it with a therapist who really focuses on trauma. I think there's another question though in there that you had asked about dealing with trauma. Well, I can't remember what it was or if it was, but I, I, I like where this is going. So, <clears throat> but I want to say, you know, relationships can be healing, super healing for traumas. But if we take it all on as our own role or burden, I guess, uh, responsibility to heal someone's trauma. That's a lot to carry. And most of us aren't equipped for that. We can guide someone to heal their trauma by saying, Hey, you know, it's time to we go to therapy together. It's time, you know, here's a program for you. Here's something that I want to be doing, you know, whatever that might be. There's a way in there to guide someone to get the support that they need to work through traumas. But it's not our responsibility to cure someone. If, I like if what you curing just said. is even a possibility. Yeah, I'm I'm a real skeptic about <laughs> curing. I guess I feel like the breaks we get are part of us becoming more human, but or more compassionate or something, if we're lucky to, to yeah. learn what, what we can do around that. But so that was one of the questions was, you know, like, <clears throat> is it, is it my, you know, like I'm, all the women I date, inevitably they're, they're, I end up running into their trauma. Is it my job? I don't, that is not what I signed up for. And you said, I like what you said, because you didn't say, well, you said it second, you know, here's something you could do. But first you said, maybe it's time for us to get some, some therapy. Right. <clears throat> and I think, you know, what I see and what I've experienced in my own life and my own relationships and my own long history of going to counseling and therapy is usually it's her leading that. Hmm. And I'm going to say to any guy who's struggling with this stuff, like that's on us, you know? Like if you're seeing difficulties in your relationship, take the step and suggest going to do counseling with your partner, the woman you love, the, the person you love. And if they don't want to do it, do it for yourself. Because this is, this is where I think this, the quality of the oracle comes in. I don't know why you know a woman is in my life besides the obvious kind of stuff. There's a deeper, in my way of looking at things, a deeper message she's giving me and it has to do with me discovering myself so when i start running up against walls that's a good time for me to start asking for support or to 
you know, maybe it's time to join a men's group. Maybe it's time to go see a counselor. Maybe it's time to seek some kind of help because I can feel myself out of my depth. There's also a good exploration of for people who have a pattern of, of connecting with women with trauma. What, what is it that has me calling in women with unprocessed trauma? I, I want to define it, you know, kind of yeah, okay. redefine it that way. It's not trauma because I think so many have, so many of us have traumas, but an unprocessed trauma, something we haven't really worked with. We've kind of tried to push under the, under the covers. Why am I constantly calling something in? Why am I calling someone in who has unprocessed trauma? And, you know, where's that, where's the shadow side of my own being in that? Uh, my, my needing to heal, my needing to save, my whatever it might be. There's some deep exploration in that. One thing you picked up on was me saying, hey, it's time for us to go to, to therapy or suggesting like, hey, this would be a good path. Some men and women, some people do this with their partners. They recognize that there's a trauma there and they make a suggestion and it gets you know declined. And then they wait a little longer and make another suggestion and it gets declined. And declining can either be, no, I'm not interested, or it could be, yeah, I'll do it, but they're not really actually doing much within it. At some point, I think it's important to make a boundary. If I'm going to trust you with my heart fully, this is what I need. And most of us are too scared to do that. And that's where I see a lot of relationships crumbling. I don't want to put up a boundary, even though I need to. And so instead, I'm going to get bitter or withdraw, or it'll come out sideways in some kind of messy way. But I think teaching boundaries is super important around this. And I think boundaries can be done with a tremendous amount of compassion. It's not their fault that they have this trauma they carry in their body. But we have to gauge their willingness to do something with it. And um, one thing I like to talk about a lot is we have to decide when we're with someone, can I dance with their traumas? Mm -hmm. John talks about three things that we should have resonance, polarity, and can we can we devote ourselves to their nervous system? But that third one, I would say, can I dance with their trauma? I can deal with certain traumas in my partner. I can deal with certain history in my partner. And there are places where I can strengthen myself, but there also might be a place where I say, hey, there's someone else who can love you better than I can because this is past where I can go. Mm -hmm. That's a hard reflection on self. But that's actually what brought me to John in the first place. 
Oh yeah. <laughs> it was, it was uh, a woman I was dating. Uh, we went to a workshop together. I think it was like in May of 2016, John was teaching with Kendra Kunov. And, um, and, and I recognized in that relationship that I, I didn't have the capacity to hold her in a way that she needed to be held. I might now, but I certainly didn't at that time. And I had to make a choice. Is this the wound I can dance with? Well, I didn't really have that language at that time. And is this the wound I want to dance with, for that matter? Like, yeah, maybe I have the capacity, but do I want to? I think there's no shame in saying, hey, thank you for your love. And this is beyond what I'm capable of doing or wanting to do. So when you had that moment, what, <clears throat> what besides, you know, gracefully. Oh, mine wasn't graceful. Besides clumsily exiting that dance that you didn't know how to lead. <clears throat> Um, what did, so then that's when you, that, that moved you to start working with John. Yeah. You, that's, you, you, that's when I went back to him and said, Hey, I need to, the, the very first workshop I went to with John and Kendra. Yeah. It's kind of funny. I walked in and, and was totally triggered by everything uh, in that workshop. Right. We're talking about masculine feminine energies and yeah, stuff like yeah. that, but I was still so stuck in masculine, meaning male bodied and feminine, meaning female body. Yeah. Rather than we each have both masculine and feminine and how we move about you know, that's the, the relationship internal, let alone external relationship. So I'm almost walked out of that workshop, uh, but then I came back to him and said, okay, I need to study with you. I need mm. to create different, different patterns in my body. I need to stretch my nervous system in a different way with some guidance. And so I started working with him back then. So for any man who's listening, I, I guess, you know, my, my interpretation or what I, what I got there was you might find yourself in water that's too deep to, for you to swim or to dance. And that, again, this, this to me is like, reminds me of this, the story of the Oracle. It's like, but you're being told something. And in your case, Ted, it was like, okay, I, I want to actually become a better swimmer or a better dancer or whatever your metaphor is. And I see so many men who just basically back off and um, retreat. And, um, you know, we have a, uh, this crisis of, the, you know, the friendship crisis or the loneliness crisis with, with men that's kind of hit the news recently, you know. Studies showing that on average, we've gone from having, you know, five close friends to having less than one on average, um, which has a huge impact on all of you know, all sorts of our health. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it puts incredible pressure on our relationships. If, if we are in a relationship for the, the person who is our beloved to <clears throat> meet all of our needs and 
So, yeah, I was. I think that um, it, it's not a new problem. It's not a new problem. The uh, it was Putnam who wrote many years ago, twenty five years ago or so, Bowling Alone. Yeah. When people started talking about, hey, there's a there's a loneliness crisis. Yeah. I think it's been exacerbated in the last couple of years with COVID, where we can really point to, oh, here's why there's a loneliness problem. But but loneliness has been around, at least we could research it for the last many years and probably always around, right? How can we, you know, be in a big crowd and still feel lonely? Um, so let's take that back to our intimate relationships, mm -hmm. because a lot of ex people experience loneliness there. A lot of men experience loneliness there. A lot of women do. A lot of women do this, <clears throat> giving you, giving me, it's happened to me, get, you know, giving me the, the, um, I'm setting a boundary here. Sometimes it's been subtle. Sometimes it's been less than subtle. And then all of a sudden they're out of here. And I'm kind of scratching my head wondering like what happened? Um, and certainly that's what got me to, you know, there, there was a story at the front end of this about the sacred sex, sacred sexuality being a, a, a path or a breadcrumb trail. But every time I've had a relationship end or a marriage end, it's been a time for me to, to do work. And I've learned stuff and it's been invaluable. So I, if anybody, any men are listening to this, I just encourage you, like, again, like reach out for help. There's, there's lots of experienced people. You don't have to go to somebody who's talking about sacred sexuality, but that's a great thing, I think. But there's there's people to talk to because for lots of us, I mean, I, I saw this in men's groups that I was in you know, years ago. There would be guys with, with kids and grandkids, and they were totally disconnected from them. Yes. And that's that's the tragedy. You know, our kids need us. Our grandkids need us. Even if we can't or choose not to create intimacy with a, a partner, there's still all kinds of opportunities for us to, to be close and to be open-hearted. I mean, one of the first lessons I, I teach with couples is eye gazing yeah. and breathing together. And it's so fascinating because those two things can be super vulnerable for people. Mm. But doing those two things, in, in fact, I had a couple recently who said, wow, this was way too advanced. I was thinking, all we, <laughs> all we did was eye gazing. <laughs> like, that's not even the juicy stuff yet. Eye gazing and breath work together, sinking our breath together, is how we connect. And it's typically something we avoid. Typically something we avoid with, with anyone, people on the street, friends, lovers, we, we try to avoid their eye contact at times. You know, eye contact can seem too aggressive and it can be aggressive, right? But if we have an open heart when we're doing it, it's really beautiful. It's how we see each other. It's how we know that, oh, they see me, they're really present with me. Because yes, many people will leave relationships saying it was lonely like he was there but he wasn't really there he was focused on his job he was focused on whatever but it, i didn't feel him 
And so I think we have to be conscious of that. Certainly as men, we have to be conscious of that. There are plenty of things to distract us, whether it's our new mission with our job, it's our iPhone, it's whatever it might be. It's so important to be able to really connect, even if it's for limited times, even if it's just like once a day, here we are connecting. We all need that. We crave that. My feminine craves that connection, let alone someone who's even more in their feminine, craves that connection of being seen, of, of, of having someone with you. And I think that's why we have such a, 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 I use your word, a crisis within men or groups of men where they don't feel that connection. They're all distracted. And I would rather choose to distract than to put myself in that uncomfortable place where I actually feel how lonely I am. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> and if we feel the loneliness, we, if we sit with it, we really feel into the loneliness. Under the loneliness, there's usually grief. Mm. And sometimes we judge ourselves for having that grief. I shouldn't be... I shouldn't be grieving about being lonely because I've got these buddies I play poker with, I go to the gym with, I do whatever with, or I got the family, they're all around. I should be more like I should get together. But we're kind of fooling ourselves. There's that grief that needs to be explored and needs to be honored. Do you feel that grief? Yeah. And it can take lots of different forms. I mean, I was, I told you earlier, I had a conversation with um, a woman who I have a connection with that goes back to when we were children. She was a bit younger than me and our family has experienced interesting things and I won't get into detail about that. But one of the things that we shared was my sister died when I was quite young and, and, um, and the grief around that was something that our family didn't really deal with very well. My, my, you know, when I look at my dad, my dad had a huge heart, but his, he was very, very selfish. You know, I, I, I came to love him and enjoy him when I was in my forties and we had about 20, 20 years of honeymoon, <laughs> but um the way he processed his grief was by just lashing out and making it really hard for anybody else in our family to, to feel stuff. Cause it was just dangerous. And my mother had a, you know, had a breakdown at one point and their marriage didn't survive. And, and I just, uh, built a shell around myself. Um, anyway, this conversation with this woman, I, <clears throat> we talked about it several years ago and I realized that, or she told me was that she had also experienced this huge grief from the loss of her best friend, which I'd never registered, you know, which was your sister, my sister. Right? Yeah. That was your sister. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So it, it was all about me and it was all about me and my family and not even sensing that there was somebody close by who was experiencing this. So to go back to you know grief, trauma, like it's, it's part of our lives. I think 
when I start to started to pay attention to the sacred quality of my life, and the excuse was this idea of exploring sacred sexuality, but then it came to be like, all of this stuff is like, how do I hold, how do I hold myself in this, in this sorrow that I still feel, you know, I was 10 years old, so it was a few years ago. And, and here's this woman who is, you know, also still able to feel that, you know, and, and I think, well, I know that I've had less patience for that in parts of my life, not just with, certainly with my own grief and my own, you know, the trauma of what it meant for our family, but for other people, and that would mean specifically women, but also other men and their grief and trauma, because if I actually, you know, gave them, if I actually let them express that stuff or then it was going to start digging up stuff in me and I did not want that. So when I think about this, the sacred sexuality or sacred sex or, or spiritual intimacy, it's, it's a lot about that. It's about holding, it's about, for me, to get stable enough so that I can feel my own stuff when it comes up, when other people express their stuff and not, not leave. You know, you saw, I talked about the flight, mm-hmm. bright, fight, fawn. You know, to not not drop into not, as John would say, not collapse. Yeah. But but just uh, you know hold, hold myself open, and not uh, and even though it's like a tidal wave, you know, like just smashing into me, like just to know that it's it passes and. Yeah, those those things that we don't tolerate in other people, like they're you know seeing their grief. Yeah. We probably don't tolerate in ourselves either. So we hold ourselves back in some way. Right. And, you know, that's not doing us a service. It's not doing our loved ones a service. And, you know, what I've been starting to explore is the generational impact. And that those traumas that we feel we hand down, that, that yeah. refusing to grieve, we hand that down also. And so somewhere along the line has to has to break that pattern where it keeps going and keeps going. Yeah, and it can be really hard. In yeah. fact, I'm pretty sure it will be really hard. It was really hard. It is really hard. I mean, it's ongoing. It's just it keeps coming up in different ways. You know, like recently it was stories that this woman told me yesterday that that just brought up a bunch of more stuff that I'm still kind of, wow, how do I? Yeah. Yeah, we what need the to fuck go back. Do I do with that? We need to go back into that grief. We need to work with that grief, the shadows of the grief, and it's it's usually like an onion. You yeah. know, a whole session on working on grief, and you that means you peel the layer, right? There's there's usually more layers to go, but you know, while there may always be a taste of grief, layer by layer, you can let it go. And if yeah, we don't do that, it comes out sideways. Yeah. It hurts other people. Yeah. I think that's a I, I have um also issues with the idea of letting things go. Like I just think they're not only do we not get cured, we can't really let things go. We just find ways to turn them into art. And that's another thing that I learned from you guys, you know, was like all this stuff is just like, how do I make art of this life? So 
you know, spiritual intimacy, sacred sexuality to me is really about that. It's about bringing my broken self to this moment and knowing that I'm going to, if I'm really vulnerable, I'm going to encounter somebody else's broken self. Yeah. I, I have a quote up on my wall over here. Yeah. It says, if you believe breaking is possible, then believe that healing is possible. Uh, Reb Nachman of Bratislav, who, who said that. And such a, a beautiful idea that, yeah, things break and healing is possible. There's this Japanese practice of, of, of mending broken right. pots with gold, right? You know, right. And that's, that's really, I mean, of, of the teachers who I really appreciate, it's, it's when I see the gold, you know, it's like when I know, oh, they're, they've experienced something hard. And they've turned it into something beautiful. So, you know, for me, sex has been <laughs> too rarely a place where I've paid attention to those veins of gold that have healed the broken parts or that, have, that are inviting the gold. And yeah, I'm, but, I'm just going to throw that at you there. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so important to, I think, um, to recognize where there's healing. And that it's through those wounds that we actually grow. You know, even, even with like real, like, like broken bones, right? Mm. That place where that bone heals, I believe, is stronger than the other parts of the bone. And so if we can really give it the healing that it needs... But sometimes that healing takes that cleanse that I didn't do. <laughs> Some, sometimes it just takes deep work repeatedly, which I, which I have done over the last eight and 10 years to keep going back and to keep looking at those places to say, okay, where am I still hurting? Mm -hmm. Not only where am I still feeling the hurt, but I would say, where am I still hurting, like hurting others? You know, mm. doing, doing and receiving and i think those are the places that that you really find that gold to put that to put that pot back together that glass back together i want to drop something in here mm -hmm. that i've been thinking about tonight happens to be the beginning of passover in the jewish community and we didn't plan this day based on the holidays but mm -hmm. i've been thinking a lot about this day because one of the things that we do during this holiday is we don't eat leavened products so bread, things like that, that, that rise, we yeah. eat matzah, very flat cracker-like substance. And one of the teachings, one of the more mystical teachings around that is that this week is a time of deflating our ego. Mm. So it's less about me. And when it's less about me, then I have more space for others. So it's a very communal holiday, but it also has a, an aspect of, of holiness sacred of spiritual and when we deflate ourselves we can feel the other and so when i'm thinking certainly in light of this holiday i'm thinking about spiritual intimacy part of that is a deflation of self so i can feel into my partner so i can feel through my partner into the divine and also so i can feel out so in intimacy work, it's recognizing that I'm part of this broader world. 
You know, to be a conscious human being is not just to simply be focused right there. To be conscious, really, I believe, is is to feel out, to notice the ripples that I'm making in the world, the impact, the responsibility I have to hold all of it at once. And so just like this holiday is one of deflating ego so I can connect with the divine and connect with community, I think sacred sex is the same thing. That I know I've gotten there when I can feel her and feel through her. And I'm not up in my head just thinking about, oh, am I doing this right? Oh, is she, is she happy with this? Oh, I've got an appointment to go to later on. <laughs> We're not kind of, you know, perseverating on all the things that, that might be running through our head. So tell me about, so I'm assuming that when you say I feel her and I can feel through her, that it's not about you know, I can feel my penis inside her, or I can feel the walls of her vagina, or I can feel her hips against me, or I can feel her breasts in my hand, that there's a, a there's more going on. Yeah, yeah. I can feel her heart. Mm. I can feel her heart, mean I can feel her her love. I can feel her longing, her desire. I can feel her sadness. I can feel her joy, her ecstasy. I can, I can really feel what's happening. It is a, it's a radical empathy to be able to feel into your partner. That's when you start moving as one. That's when, you've, when you get out of your own head and you get into their body and their being. And truly, the, I think the, the thing that I'm looking for in relationship is, can I trust them with my heart? Mm. I think for me, it's also, can I trust them with my body, like my mm. nervous system? But I know that I've, I've had that place of real spiritual connection when I do feel where they are. And I do feel even past them into the great she of course once i say that <laughs> once i recognize that i'm like boom i'm back in my head right? right so it's 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 more of a an after afterthought like oh that's where it was once we're in there um, like like you know, martin buber the great theologian taught about divine connection the divine connection is becoming one with the other. But as soon as you recognize, oh, I'm one with the other, you're now separate again. <laughs> so it's the same with a sacred sex. Is that once I recognize that I'm feeling in her and through her, then I've, I've popped out a little bit. But, you know, with a little compassion for ourselves, we can drop back into it. Even in the moment, even maybe a moment later, we kind of drop right back into, okay, feeling her feeling through her feeling the world through her not just the cosmos or divine but feeling everything through her that's beautiful ted and i and i would say to any man who's listening to this you're probably going to fail as often as you yeah. feel that and and that's just the nature of this i think the for me, the sacred part comes in my 
that that's what I want, that it's not enough just to, for me to get off or even to get her off. It's that, that what you said about like, I, I want to be able to trust her with my heart and I, I want I mean, it's, you know, there was this poem that I read recently or came across about like, if we're in a long-term committed relationship, we're going to experience a thousand funerals as we watch them change. And I don't know mm -hmm. if you're familiar with that poem, but. Uh, beautiful though. <clears throat> I mean, if, if you have ever spent and you have, you know, you spent 21 years in a long-term relationship and now you're in another one, change is just always happening. And, and if I don't, if I'm not prepared to one notice that I'm, that I have to grieve, like, Oh, I actually liked how you were. <laughs> if it's as simple as I liked your hair before, <laughs> you know, and now I have to <laughs> like acknowledge that. Like it's sometimes it's those things are, are small, but there are those little bits of, and they resonate with other things in us. So we create these little, in, in, in terms of this poem and how I've learned about this in terms of funeral celebration is, you know, make make some time and space for just the, uh, grieving the little things, so that the big things are yeah, that you have the capacity to feel that stuff. Yeah, yeah, you attune your body to to the life changes. Yeah, and not that it ever gets easy; it just becomes less traumatic, basically. I it think there could be more ease in it. Mm -hmm. it may not be easy. I think you can live a life of ease. And I think that comes through uh, an intentional life. You know, like I said, when I, when I met my wife, my, my, the woman who became my wife, we started really as practice partners. I mean, it was more than what we would allow, like in a workshop kind of thing, but it was, yeah. we were, we were recognizing that, Hey, this is a place to grow. This is a place to experiment. This is a place to practice not living with shame, a place to practice not trying to shame the other, a place to practice being open-hearted and to, to open rather than close. And I'll tell you, that's created a, a relationship of ease. Mm. I, I don't personally believe relationships have to be difficult. And then there are some teachers who definitely believe that. They think that to grow, you have to be kind of butting heads all the time. She has to be poking you, challenging you. I think that's not true. I, I think that I've lived, I do live in this place that, no, we can actually have healthy conversations that move us with ease through difficulty, that move us through ease with whatever disagreements might come along the way. I'm not one that believes like, Hey, we need to stay in this relationship because it's helping me grow. Cause she's always poking me. <laughs> you know, because, because then you're, what you're really doing is you're re-traumatizing each other. Mm -hmm. And if you're re-traumatizing each other, I don't see how that's any good. Maybe you've just become a really good dancer. I might have. And I think anyone can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Do, do you dance? Are you familiar with Argentine tango? I absolutely know about it. I can't do it at all, <laughs> but, I know, <laughs> but I, I do know about it. Yes. 
Well, most people know about it from like stage tango and stuff yeah. like that. But the actual practice of, of tango is, is very much, and certainly the way I teach it, is very much about for whoever's the lead to be the awareness, to give direction, but also to be super aware of what the follow is needing, wanting. Because the, the tango has an interesting history of basically being... A, a dance for women's pleasure you, you and we'll get into this thing about what we talked about earlier in a second but so in the early days of of, of tango in buenos aires the the demographics were such that you couldn't dance with a woman unless you were a, a dancer who could basically give her a safe and pleasurable experience so you practice and you practice with other men mm -hmm. so this goes like so now men are getting together in groups to practice when I teach tango, it's very, very simple, but it's really about the lead learning how to slow down enough that he can feel her and feel the floor through her, like to feel her as she moves her feet across the floor as the energy. Anyway, I can get it. I could go on this for hours, but so I'm going to say that, you know, what, Maybe, you know, like you're in this relationship where you are now and experiencing it as ease because you're such a good, you've learned how to be a sensitive enough lead that you can feel what the moment needs. And I think that's the challenge, or that's how I see the challenge for us as, as masculine identified men with in relationship with feminine identified women is to be less concerned about them as a problem and more about how can I lead here so that she just blossoms. Yeah. Well, I, I would like to say I've learned how to lead, but I've also learned how to be trustable. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's part and of it, right? You can't lead without being trustable. Yeah. And I think that there are a lot of people who learn to appear trustable. There's a difference between appearing trustable and being trustable. And she can feel it. And she the can difference. feel the difference. Yeah. 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 Our partners can feel the difference. Other people, anyone, men and women can all feel when this person is trustable or is just appearing to be trustable. So one is I've learned to be trustable. I've also learned to trust. And that was actually a later in life lesson for me is to learn to trust someone with my heart, mm. learn to trust someone with my body. And, and, and that, that's kind of a double entendre there. It's to trust them with the fragility of my heart or you know the vulnerability of my heart, but also to trust them from my heart space, to trust someone with my body, but to trust someone with meaning like from my body, like my body actually trusts them. And those are things I've had to really fine tune over the years because most of us is kind of a dense body and we don't really pick up on, on others through our body, but our body sense is, I think, brilliant. And so once we, we focus on that, can I trust them with my body, like by using my body and like handing actually my body over to them? Those are, those are two different things with the same word, but both of those really build that ability to lead and to follow.
So we're talking about sacred or spiritual intimacy. You know, the questions are, can I trust them with my heart? Can I trust them with my body? You talked about practice and the practice that your wife and you have done to bring more ease into how you do things. Mm -hmm. And I'm wondering if I'm thinking about rituals as ways of doing that. I'm thinking about practice as a ritual, but I'm thinking about ritual not in the way that lots of us think about it, which is something dead, but as something that's actually living. Does that, does that make any sense to you, Does what I'm saying? No, what is dead and living? I don't understand that. So dead and living rituals. You know, there's, there's some practices that, that people do that they just do their form. I guess they're all formulaic, but but they've been they don't resonate anymore. They don't meet. They're just things that we do. Uh, okay. Got it. You know, and then there's things that we do and we actually feel like, I mean, I've certainly been in situations where like lighting a candle as part of a, a ceremony has been, Oh yeah. Okay. I'm doing that. And then sometimes it's like, Oh yeah, I'm doing this okay. and I can feel it. Yep. Got it. In, in Judaism, we talk about Keva and Kavanah. Keva is the the performative ritual, mm. and kavana is everything we bring to it. Mm. Mm. So yes, you can have some that are keva, that you know it's important to do them anyway. Right? There's a there's a there's a value in doing them, but ideally we're infusing them with kavana with this this right. intention that is behind it. So yes, that's that you would use dead and live. I'd use keva kavana, but I, I'm with you now. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so I was thinking about practices, and especially practices. So, if I'm thinking about sacred sexuality, sacred sex, part of that for me would involve some kind of r ritual, like living rituals. Mm -hmm. One of my teachers said, "You." If you're going to make love to your wife, you prepare for 72 hours, <laughs> you know, which, which in this culture of like uh, hypersexuality just seems like craziness. Like right. we just basically see each other, we feel it and we do it and then whatever. But this idea of like taking like days to prepare, I, I love this idea. I love it now at this point in my life. But I think the idea of, of of creating ritual spaces and and rituals of opening, I guess, <clears throat> and rituals to, for opening to give and opening to and to receive are. I mean, that's where I want to spend most of my life now. You know, is so do it. Yeah. Well, I, I feel like I I feel like I do that more and more. Yeah. And it's 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 not it's not second nature yet, right? And so I have to. You, can I give you some yeah. of the things that we do? Yeah. In fact, the timing is great. If, if you've got something to give us, uh, if you want to tell us some stuff, and then you want to give us the practice, that would be great. Sure, a, a couple practices. Okay. One is something my wife and do all the time throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, which is simply breathe together. 
So I talked about eye gazing and breath. Yeah. Belly to belly. Feeling as our breath expands, our bellies touch. As our breath comes out of our body, our bellies contract. But gazing also eye to eye, it's a beautiful practice. It's a simple practice. We don't even have to be eye to eye. She can be in front of me and I'm behind her holding her. Just feeling that breath in and out. But another practice that I really love that I would want to drop in, and I'm going to practice it with you, I think, right now, is a praise practice. Mm. And I found that a praise practice connects people in a really profound way. So the way I like to do a praise practice is this. Um, Hans, I want to praise you for the work that you're doing in the world, for the voice you're giving to conscious men for the way that you're finding new ways to reach out to those men who are lonely, to those human beings who, who desire a deeper connection. I think what you're doing is really holy work. That's my sincere praise for you. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. And now Hans, what else can I praise you for? Oh, uh, this is this. That's quite a question. That's that invites a lot of vulnerability here. I mean, what you said was beautiful, and I and it's you know started to feel tears. And I'm, it's, it's, it's hard. It's, I feel ashamed. It's like I have, to, it's like I'm asking for recognition of things. You're asking. And I don't, and I don't feel worthy, you know, or that, 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 okay. uh, you okay. know. So you are worthy. How can I praise you? You can praise me for being the kind of son that I am to my, my mother and earlier to my, and still to my father. You can praise me for being the kind of father I am to my daughters and to my sons, to my, the kind of opa I am to my granddaughter. You can praise me for, for loving this woman who in her very silent and tender way keeps inviting me to be more sensitive and more attuned to the world. So Hans, I want to praise you for your love and how you show up as son, parent, and grandparent and lover. The open-hearted love that you give to all of those, the support that you give to all those, even when your grandchild gives you that cold. <laughs> 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 to show up as your full loving self. 
praise you for all that. Mm, thank you. You're welcome. For the folks who are listening, I think if they could take those two things with them, one is breath, one is eye gazing, breath and eye gazing together, and the other is the praise practice. I'm going to praise you for something, and I'm going to ask what you want to be praised for and praise you for it. It's a powerful, powerful practice. I do that with my wife every day, usually at night, sometime during the day. I started doing it with my daughter also, mm. my 14-year-old. Just, just over the last couple of weeks, I've started doing that with her. And it's such a sweet way that she's opened up. And sometimes, I mean, to be quite candid, they ask for praise for something that I'm like, oh. <laughs> so it requires within me to find the place that I can praise them for that thing that they desire praise for. Right. So it's a, it's a practice that has all these different directions. And, and wow, so, so powerful. Uh, very, very beautiful, Ted. Thank you so much. You're welcome. You're welcome. So I'm just going to say I praise you for the work that you do, but also for these conversations and how much you bring to me. And I just, I just, I love the thought of speaking to you. Like I, I get excited about it. Yeah, it's always fun. Thank you. Thank you. So rather than deflecting it by saying, yeah, it's always fun. Let me just, let me just take that in. Thank you. So now if you enter this practice, you have to ask me. Yeah. What would you like to be praised for, Ted? I would like you to praise me for holding a vision that the world can become more whole and complete by helping people heal their relationships with each other. Mm. Ted, I praise you for holding this vision, for, for sharing this vision, that, that the work that we do with each other and making our relationships more sacred and more beautiful transforms the world. and makes it a holy place. Thank you so much for that. Mm. Thank you, my friend. It was wonderful talking to you. I'd love to do it again soon. Thank you. Welcome.